I'm Wendy Lovage, and I am here this evening with Steve Bloom, and we are talking about uh, the top 63 stoner films and series from 2021. Uh, Steve is the publisher of CelebStoner.com, and welcome, Steve. We've had some technical difficulties tonight, but we are getting rolling now, and it seems to be working, so if anyone wants to let us know, if you can, I see that Angela has put up a peace sign, so she's she's definitely... Um, seeing seeing us and hearing us, so that's fantastic. Um, Steve, I was so excited uh, when I read your article, and uh, I I, I want to say my first thought was, you know, I looked at the list of films, and it you know it's it's top stoner films, and I was thinking, um, you know, we've kind of come a long way with that. You know, it's a little different vibe than when we're talking about, you know, past stoner films. Um, like, uh, you know, Pineapple Express, Wayne's World, things that I think of as stoner films. I don't know. What are your thoughts about that? Because the list that that you've got is is uh, many really excellent films. Well, it is pretty diverse this year. Um, I think what you're seeing is the shift that I've noticed uh, away from that type of stoner movie, the comedy uh, with the guys going on a fun adventure you know, sort of dating back to the Cheech and Chong model. And that kind of worked its way up through, you know, this last decade, you know, with Seth Rogen and a lot of the movies him and his friends were making. Uh, but now I find that there's a sort of, um, it seems to come to maybe an end, uh, or at least for the time being, um, a lot fewer movies like those are being made now. The Buddy Bro movie seems to have kind of gone away uh, to some degree, um, and it's being replaced by female movies and roles and uh, mm -hmm. stoner movies directed by women. Uh, and women always had a backseat in these stoner movies. They were never the, the main characters. They were just maybe the girlfriends. And, uh, and now they're the stars. That's that's very true. I you know in when I started to watch some of the films on the list, I had that very thought. My gosh, there's a lot of main female characters, themes that would be maybe a little more attractive to a woman. You know, searching for a film that has some uh, stoner or cannabis background to it or within the film. Um, but uh, but it's to me it was really refreshing and exciting. You know. Um, uh the kind of the the when they show uh any misogyny or anything like that in the film it's kind of um not something that's celebrated at least with uh some of the ones that i watched i agree yeah yeah so that's pretty cool and um and uh so how did you decide who, who, which films should be on this list? Because 63 is kind of an interesting number. Um, it's not so an it's even number. Yeah, I mean, it's just an odd number uh, because it didn't land at 60 or there's so many that, you know, you spin the wheel and maybe you land at a 45 or a 50, but I'm not going to mm -hmm. exclude something because it doesn't suit the number. So I'm actually have another movie I'm probably going to watch tonight that'll probably get it up to 64. So there are a few more that I'm still discovering, um, but I think I caught most of the movies this year that had any kind of drug themes. Uh, but you know the the list is um, is it, it covers a lot of territory. Uh, the drug or stoner movie, you know, is generally a movie that has some sort of drug theme, uh, mm -hmm. whether it's cannabis or something harder or or psychedelic or or even alcohol um and mm -hmm. uh and and then the broader definition also includes most music movies that deal with music uh mm -hmm. music dramas uh, a lot of music documentaries out there most musicians you know tend to get around to some sort of use um and so that kind of qualifies sci-fi uh, animation things that people movies that people like to watch high in addition to movies that are just more about specific drug issues um so i think that's sort of the general definition and this year um it ex you know i noticed also uh, we're talking about trends you know the big trend was the uh the, the quality female roles and the direction uh that's gone that way and also there were so many movies about opioids and the opioid crisis uh, mm -hmm. gripped America and it seems to have gripped Hollywood and uh, they decided to make a lot of movies 
uh, focusing on characters or TV shows like uh, Dope Sick. Uh, and by the way, the uh, list includes miniseries this year. I, I kind of didn't want to ignore Dope Sick or Narcos. Uh, mm -hmm. In the past, I always review them, but I don't include them on the list. This year, I decided to include them. It also includes The Beatles Get Back, which is a three-part miniseries. I, mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to include these because this is stuff that people are watching. And it's long form. It's just not TV shows. Right, right. Yeah, let's talk for a minute about Dope Sick. I did have the opportunity to watch that. Um, and, and I'm glad that you included it because that issue um, with the, the opioid crisis is, is so important for everyone to understand its origins and, and where we're headed with it, even we're still kind of in it, you know. Um, so, uh, so what, what were your thoughts about that particular series for people who, you know, Dubstep is quite a lesson, you know, in understanding how how big pharma can, you know, inflict quite a bit of damage on the population in the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, without people even really knowing what's going on. You know, they just, you know, very quietly, you know, put out a drug that got people hooked and then they kept increasing the dosages and they led people to believe that oxycontin the drug was not addictive so the storyline you know goes to sort of the beginning of where the company the sackler company that founded uh, purdue pharma uh, where they got their start and kind of working towards how they kind of hit this sort of peak or a zenith for the company in terms of profits with oxycontin uh, but the words start getting around to you know authorities that um you know, people uh, were overdoing the use of it and uh, and getting addicted, and addiction numbers started to go up significantly around the country, especially in poor or white areas uh, such as uh, West Virginia and coal mining areas. And that's where dope sick takes place in a coal mining area, Pennsylvania, I believe. And uh, and there's a young woman who's a coal miner, and she gets hurt in an accident, and she's prescribed OxyContin by the doctor, who's played by uh, Michael Keaton, uh, who is sort of not as aware as he should have been of what the potential of the drug could be he ends up getting hooked on it too but you, you see like how they uh, wine and dine the doctors to get them to give out the drugs and you know do everything they almost like even bring them prostitutes practically that just win them over so you know you see the real seedy side of the uh, the big pharma companies and the fight back here in the movie or in this mini series is a parts is the DA and the Justice Department you know building mm -hmm. uh, a case against Purdue to um, to shut them down, which they did, but ultimately they still haven't suffered. They've suffered a lot financially, but they, nobody's gone to jail. Yeah, I, I saw that actually recently. I read another uh, an article about about that as well. Um, yeah, I, I think that um, so people may or may not know this about me, but earlier in my life, I was married to a surgeon, went through medical school with him and saw that firsthand. Actually, it wasn't uh, opiates at the time. This was earlier than all that, but um, but man, the drug companies wine and dine, the medical students, the residents, all the way through, um, buy them the equipment they need, and uh, it's it's really pretty pretty sick, honestly. So I the the this series I think really illustrated what really happened and i was i was happy for people to really see that and to hopefully start to understand the depth of the problem um yeah so i, I was glad to see that on your list for sure well, it, it is highly regarded it's received golden globe nominations michael keaton's received the nomination the show itself as a miniseries so it's being you know it, it's being heralded as a as an important show yeah, for sure. Um, I think the the film that everyone's talking about, though, is Don't Look Up. Um, and I saw, in fact, today I, I read an article, um, you know, that that the critics aren't treating it so, so well. Um, and I was like, what? <laughs> My gosh. So what are your thoughts about Don't Look Up? Well, first of all, I love the movie. Uh, I'll talk about what the critics think in a minute, but it just really hit me right. You know, this is a mm -hmm. movie at the moment, uh, talking about kind of a crisis scenario and how the government deals with it. You know, mm -hmm. it could be uh, COVID, uh, or which we're going through now, or it could be global warming and climate change, which we're also dealing with, but in more of a longer term. Uh, and, right. uh, and so what would the government do, you know, if a comet came, you know, threatening, you know, 
earth, you know, uh, a, uh, an extinction event, as they call it, which did happen, you know, you know, millions of years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. So could it happen again? It doesn't really matter really whether it could or not. It's just how the reaction would be. And that's really what the movie is about. And it kind of plays it with, you know, great, you know, deep comedy. Uh, and so the fun part for us as the stoner audience that's watching this movie is that Jennifer Lawrence is one of the, uh, the lead actors in the movie. And she plays Kate DiBiaschi, who discovers the comet. And mm-hmm. she's a student, and she's working with uh, a doctor, Randall Mindy, who's played by Leonardo DiCaprio. And so they're startled when she discovers, and then he figures it out, and then they figure out how long it's going to take to hit Earth, and it's about six months. So there goes, you know, the setup for the movie. And so once it's discovered, uh, she says, uh, I've got to get high, the character, Kate. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's a really interesting moment because, you know, super stressed. She is just learned and they have just learned that, you know, life as we know it is going to end in six months, presumably, unless there's something that could stop it. And so uh, I got to get high. And uh, and then um, they're going to Washington, the two of them, for a meeting with the president at the White House. Uh, and so they're in this big plane, uh, like you, just sort of a goof because the two of them are in this massive you know, military plane. Right, right. And then the next scene, you see her kind of like, like, she must have ducked out or she's in there somewhere because it's so big, nobody's in there. And she just takes a hit out of a pipe and then she blows it into her jacket. Uh, and so nobody will smell it, I suppose, you know, and that's just it. That's that moment where, right. where you know, she needs a little assistance <laughs> right now. You right. Know, I got to get high. It's kind of the, like the, the line of the year, you know, in movies for me. Uh, and, uh, and I love Jennifer Lawrence to begin with. She's a great actress. She has mm-hmm. been seen smoking in the past publicly. Uh, she hasn't really embraced it like some of the other actresses out there, but, um, but she's kind of cool about it. And, and the fun thing about the movie, in addition to her character being a stoner, the stoner astronomer, uh, that she's told the story that she actually went into the scene with the president, which is Meryl Streep, uh, stoned because she wanted to play it high because that's her character. And so she actually went into one of those scenes. There's several scenes or two or three scenes with the president. And mm-hmm. she did one of them at least high. She told that to like a, uh, an audience uh, at a screening. And, uh, and she said she got a lot of teasing over it too. Uh, but nevertheless, this is how she wanted to play her character. And they said, cool, do it. So I just think that's great. So the movie is just a great movie overall in terms of uh, the humor, you know, serious comedy. Uh, I think that's kind of what we need right now. We need a bit of a laugh, but also laugh at something significant, not something trivial, just to sort of escape. This is not escapist. This is very real, but it's funny. Right, <laughs> right, right. How many uh, end of the world films are funny? <laughs> I was like, you know, when you think about it, that, that they pulled that off to this me. This is the end. Seth Rogen, speaking of Rogen and Franco and all those guys, they did an end of the world movie or this is the end where there was a huge sinkhole, you know, taking down everything in Los Angeles. And I guess it was going to spread everywhere. So it was very much an apocalyptic, you know, story. They played it with, to say the least, a lot of humor. Wow. I I haven't seen that one. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. I mean, uh, I I read that about Jennifer Lawrence also, and she said, um, you know, I told them I won't have any trouble remembering my lines. I'll be all right. (laughs) You know, Um, Interesting. I read a story today saying that she was having, you know, she, you know, you know, Joan Hill's character who plays the son of the president, you know, kind of like a Trump son, you know, uh, and he's sort of a sniveling jerk you know and right. and and he's just constantly berating her uh mm-hmm. and apparently a lot of that was just improv and so she didn't know what was coming i read an article today about that you know she said it was i didn't i just didn't know what he was going to say next because it wasn't in the script a lot of that stuff him throwing the bags probably that was probably improv it's well, gross <laughs> you, throw, you know, you know and, and her joking constantly about you know that the uh, the general ma- made them pay for the water you know a little gag in the movie that runs through the movie i don't know it's just funny i needed something to laugh at right. there aren't that many great comedies this year sorry yeah there there aren't i actually was saying that um recently it's hard to find a comedy that really makes you laugh and even though this is like this apocalyptic thing you know it 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 really made me laugh too you know, aside of people not liking it, it's, you know, obviously our community is going to go towards it, you know, because they like 
that aspect of the movie with Jennifer Lawrence, but that's not the whole reason to like it, but it gets us into the movie a little bit more and maybe, maybe wants us to root for it or something uh, as I would. But, you know, it's also, you know, it, it, I think the general critics out there uh, tend to pick it apart for whatever their reasons. Uh, I don't see it that way, but I could be like that too. If I don't like a movie, I'll pick it apart. But this is not one that I would pick apart. I think it's a fun movie by a really good director with a great cast. Right. Uh, and so it's just right for our crowd, but it's only 55%, you know, uh, favored by critics at Rotten Tomatoes. So that kind of tells mm -hmm. you it's not getting, you know, and that, and therefore with that kind of low critical rating, it's not going to get the awards and the nominations it probably deserves. They already got a number of award nominations uh, at the Golden Globes, but it could maybe not get so much at the Oscars. Yeah, it seems like that's kind of where it's headed. Um you know, based on what the critics are saying. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I loved that. It, it was very surprising. So when I first started to watch the film, it was on your list, which is what brought me to it, actually. And um, when that line, when she said, you know, she had to get high, I was like, oh, this is why. <laughs> this is why it's on the list, you know. So well, it, it's what you call a good pod scene. But in a movie like this, I mean, it, it's only there twice. And so, you know, it's not a predominant element of the story, but it's woven in. By doing it early, it kind of builds the storyline around her. This is her character. And mm -hmm. this is something she does. And it's not like a one-time thing, although in the movie, she only does it one time. But right. there's that one time. And then a little bit later, they show uh, just like, a you know, the way the movie just kind of has all these little scenes that they show a hippo or this like they have a scene where they just have like a, a, a table of the pipe and a little couple of buds and on a light or something and it indicates that she's now smoking again but mm -hmm. they don't show it they don't have to so it's a different way to do it i think normally oh, you know smoke again didn't get past there was no conversation it's just her it's right. something for her nobody else in the storyline although jonah hill makes a bunch of jokes about other drugs oh the mdma is kicking in mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. there's an eight ball line at the very end yes you know that's kind of buried thrown away uh but it's there if you listen close enough like you're listening to a beatles album or something right <laughs> yeah oh, i, I heard him say it yeah. joke, sort of sentiment running through the movie with a guy like jonah who kind of plays a lot of druggy roles and is now lined up to play jerry garcia in the grateful dead movie so, oh uh, you know and, and you know people probably remember his you know, ridiculous scenes in The Wolf of Wall Street, you know. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so he's good at this kind of stuff. So he kind of, so I guess it is really a stunner movie beyond just what Jennifer Lawrence is doing in the movie. It just kind of fits in overall. But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be nonstop smoking to be a stunner movie. Right, right. Good points. Um, I loved her strength, you know. She was like, I mean, they kind of made her out to be this, crazy histrionic female you know after she was on the the news show the first time right, and crazy. yeah crazy lady you know but i mean she knew the world the world's gonna end if we don't do something <laughs> like how can you not be well, randall, randall the doctor finally lost it too in a network kind of way right he just blow he finally loses it on tv and nobody's really paying attention but what's fun about her character is that i it goes on to the next stage of her, you know, towards the end of the life or whatever. She meets Timothy Chalamet's character, who is a skate punk dude. And next thing you know, she's like having a little romance with this guy. Right. And right. An element to the story. Like, I think only Jennifer Lawrence could pull that off, you know, at 31 to you know, be kind of like a skate girl or something. I think her attitude right then is, fuck it, right? I, I right. don't care. You know, she does say he, he wants to make out with her. And, uh, and she pushes him away. And then she goes, ah, fuck it. Yeah, might as well. You know, so I mean, so, so I mean, I like that part of it too. And you could assume they're probably smoking too, but you don't see the scene. Right, right. You, know, you just assume that kind of goes with the territory of that group, you know, it, you know, but the one thing they didn't do is have a last smoke around the table for din at dinner, you know. I, I know, I was thinking that they passed around for the last smoke, you know. <laughs> right. I was thinking they might actually, but I guess uh yeah they they didn't i wonder, I wonder if there's an outtake on that <laughs> <laughs> i 
<laughs> I'd love to see that for sure. Well, I think it's definitely a film that people should see, uh, regardless of what the critics say. Well, the reason why so many people also saw it is because it's on Netflix. So I went ahead to see it two weeks earlier because I it opened in New York and I knew it had this element, but I needed to see it, you know, and then I saw it and I got it great. And then once it went on Netflix, I, you know, could grab the images, you know, mm -hmm. off, off of the TV or off the computer. And I could play that up a little bit more now that I knew what she said and how it was played in the movie. I didn't know. They just said, you know, she has a character who smokes pot in the movie. How many times? What? When? How? We don't know until you see the movie. So right. Then, so then it came out, you know, on Netflix on Friday and everybody went bananas. You know, people are home right now. You know, we having another outbreak and, you know, I'm home you know, just watching everything available on streaming and cable right now. So great timing for Don't Look Up. You know, it's the number one movie on Netflix. So, you know, so it's popular, maybe again, not with the critics, but definitely with the, the people. Right, right, for sure. Um, um, well, I, I appreciate that it was on the list and that it put me in a place where I went right to it to see it i i probably would have at some point once uh all the hubbub started and everyone was talking about it but thank you for putting it on the list <laughs> for sure well, uh, able to put a really good mainstream movie on the list most of the movies on the list are less are, are not as mainstream as that right um i also i really enjoyed um mama weed um and uh that's another one that i may not have found if it wasn't on the list and everyone watching um whenever you watch this whether it's live or later definitely look at the list and uh there's so many great films on that list and, well, and one, of my, one of my discoveries was mama weed mm -hmm. uh, and i uh, i just did a big search you know I kind of I worked on this I worked kind of on it all year I mean I'm, I'm the author of this book you know Reefer Movie Madness the ultimate stoner film guy with Shirley Halpern and so I've been doing this for a while covering these types of movies and they're always I posted in Slap Stoner and you know so it's kind of an addendum to this book that you'll kind of like see all the movies of the year and this year was a little bit of a bigger group of movies because a lot of movies were held back from last year so there are a few more this year than I think normal, plus added the miniseries. So it kind of expanded out to, you know, to like a, a bigger number overall. But so mom, I did a lot of searching. I just looked around. I just, I don't even know how I stumbled on Mama Weed. Maybe I saw it somewhere. I don't know. I saw an ad. I don't know what. But it's a French movie. Uh, and it stars Elizabeth Hubert, a uh, great, you know, uh, French film actress, uh, actor, uh, who's Oscar nominated. I, I know her. And, uh, and I... I'm always interested in when a, you know, a, a star actor, actress, or actor, as we just want to say, you know, appears in these sort of movies. Uh, I'll just make it a, so much of a better movie, like Brenda, Brenda Bledin in Saving Grace or something like that. And this movie does have something similar to Saving Grace in some respects. So here's a woman who takes charge, you know, of her life by, uh, by growing or selling uh, cannabis or a cannabis product, in this case of Mama Weed, hash. But the, the twist in Mama Weed is that Elizabeth Bear's character, Patience, is a police uh, translator. And so in the course of translating, she does a lot of translating with the, the drug squad there where they're trying to intercept hash coming into France uh, via Spain and Morocco. And so she generally, she tells them what they say and they end up getting them and maybe busting them. And uh, somewhere in the middle of the movie, she's listening in on a, on a, you know, on a tape that they had. And, uh, and she finds that it's the voice of the son of a woman that she knows. And, mm -hmm. uh, and she didn't know he was in the business and she decides to not give him up and to redirect the, uh, where the stash is supposed to go. And then nobody knows really where it is, but she sent it to another location and which the police don't know because she's doing it in another language. Right. And uh -huh. the next thing you know, she goes and intercepts it herself. And then she starts her own enterprise while she's still working for the police yes. under the nose of her boss. It was shocking, really. It was hysterical. And yeah. then she wears a hijab and walks around town, you know, in a kind of a costume so she won't be found out carrying a valise. It's really kind of cute, funny, and has this little bit of a Scarface, Scarface kind of way about it that she's kind of, you know, she's become this queen pin. Uh, but obviously she doesn't do anything bad. You know, she's just out there selling it. But she's dealing with a couple of nitwit dealers and, it, you know, plays for laughs a lot. Um, but overall, I just like the, the theme of the movie, the way it's executed, 
the international nature of it being French, the great acting, uh, you know, from uh, Habert, uh, and a generally cool uh, plot, you know, that you don't really see too often. There's not that many good international stoner films. There was for a while a couple of good ones coming out of Mexico, but lately I haven't really spotted too many, not including, say, Canada, but none, you know, you uh, English-speaking uh, stoner films haven't been, I think this is probably the only one on the list. Yeah, I, I was curious about that as well. Um, I like foreign films. I haven't been watching them in quite a while. So that, that element was kind of um, exciting to me also. But just that twist, I was like, what? <laughs> you know, because, um, you know, the fact that she intercepted the message and nobody found out at the time seemed a little bit um you know, well, incredulous, but her boss is, you know, is, is, you know, is trying, he knows something's going on, but he mm-hmm. sneaks around him so deftly that he doesn't find out. Um, I mean, so I mean, it's not, yeah, yeah. To be agreed. I mean, her kind of, you know, running rough shot of these, you know, kind of knit with dealers, you know, probably not to be believed too, you know, in terms of like, uh, you know, how would you really go down perhaps in a real situation, but this is based on a real story though. It's not made up. So there was a woman who did this. Uh, so it's, you know, it's believable. A lot of women in the drug trade, you know, on that level, especially I, I see oftentimes in a lot of the movies that deal with cocaine and stuff like that, a lot of cocaine queen pins, a lot of those stories they tell out of Miami, the stuff that they have Netflix about cocaine. A lot of times it's the woman is running the show. Uh-huh. Uh, in Narcos too, the, the women, very strong uh, characters uh, who are running, you know, businesses, not just sitting back and just being like the wives. So, uh, so I kind of like that, that she kind of like stepped in, like I could do this too. Right. That's true. And I think there's something about women, especially middle-aged women, they become kind of invisible and, and, and can use that to their advantage. (laughs) And maybe that's sort of part of it without them saying that it's kind of, you know, people just don't see, I mean, I've been places, um, you know, with lots of weed on me where, right in the open right I used to carry this big fuchsia box actually and no one saw it you know because for some reason we become more invisible as we uh, as we age so I thought that that was kind of part of it maybe I don't know one of the things I wanted to note also it's a, it's one line in the movie where um uh where patients said I, I write wearies of her job translating statements and recordings made during drug arrest all to send, this is quote, all to send kids to get radicalized for three grams of hash, she tells her boss. So she is, you know, opposed to the drug laws. Mm -hmm. Yet she's working, you know, for the police and enforcing them to some degree, right? She's not an enforcer, but she's working as part of their team, you know, to, you know, to, uh, to stop the smuggling. And, uh, and so I kind of, that's kind of, it's a subtle thing in the movie. It's not a real major anti-drug war statement, you know, but you have to read between the lines a little bit in a movie like this to really get the message. And furthermore, at the end, she finally takes a break and smokes. She's a cigarette smoker, but she takes a break and you're kind of thinking that she probably mixed it in. Right. She had a lot of hash. She must smoke it, you know. Uh, they like mixing their tobacco and hash, you know, in Europe. So I right. guess at the end that, that cigarette, or whatever she was smoking at the end was filled with cannabis too. Yeah, I'd like to think she was, (laughs) for sure. Yeah, I I hear you on that. Um, So uh, another film on the list that I watched, uh, actually just last night, was was Lady Buds. And uh, I'd love to hear your take on that. I I thought it was uh, phenomenal, actually, and inspiring in many ways. Well, Lady Buds, you know, is, is every year there's really one good cannabis or pot doc, I like to call them, because uh, it has a nice rhyme to it, pot doc, but, um, and not a doctor, but the documentary. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, this year it's, uh, it's Lady Buds. Uh, and it does, you know, uh, it's another uh, example of what a good year it's been for women in cannabis in stoner movies or drug movies or whatever you want to call them. Uh, and uh, this is a movie by Chris Russo, uh, and she decided to focus on seven women in the cannabis industry of all diverse backgrounds, mostly people in the legal uh, in the legal states, Colorado, and primarily Northern California, North California, Northern California. Uh, and it's, it kind of follows their struggles to deal with the changes in the cannabis uh, world as we know it um, now that things are legalizing in states. And California passed legalization in 2016. 
has had medical, you know, for 20 years before that. Um, so they've had a really, you know, long-term market there. But things have changed so dramatically since by 2018, legal sales began and regulations set in and licensing and all that kind of stuff took over. And now we hear talk of, you know, the whole California market collapsing. I think people are a little being a little hysterical out there, but at the same time, there is problems because of the heavy weight of taxing and 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 uh, high fees for licensing that's frozen out a lot of people who got their starts, you know, when it wasn't legal and mm -hmm. uh, the so-called legacy market, as we're calling it now. And uh, and so it's really kind of about that, you know, it's really about the legacy market, legacy people, people have long histories in cannabis, sort of not feeling that they can really make the adjustment or, or trying to make the adjustment, but maybe it not quite going the way they had hoped. Uh, and so, uh, so I, you know, it's not, a, it, it, there's another movie called Freeland that's out as well. And that's a narrative story that follows a similar trajectory in that the lead character in that story is also a female, a, a lady grower uh, who's a little bit older uh, and she's also been doing it for a long time, and she's really having a hard time navigating the new world. She even mm -hmm. goes to an NCIA conference in uh, in San Francisco, and there's scenes in there where the camera's going around, you see all the booths and stuff, you might even recognize a few faces. Um, so she's really trying, but mm -hmm. one thing leads to another. They basically put an abatement on her property saying, you, can't, you cannot keep doing what you're doing, meaning growing illegally. We're not arresting you, we're telling you to stop. Right. right? And you have to get in the legal way. And people advise her, but she doesn't really take the advice so well and doesn't really listen as much and is a little stuck in her own ways. Now, the women in, um, in Ladybuds are a little bit more willing to adjust. Uh, and what you find is, say, one of the ladies, um, uh, Pearl Moon, who's like a champion grower, yes. uh, ends up being a bud tender. Mm -hmm. It's a little sad, but you know, but you know, they're just okay. Well, I need to work, and that's where the jobs are, and I'm not making enough money on my farm, or I can't afford to even set up a farm, you know, uh, and grow legally. Yeah, I mean, I really felt like the film showed the resiliency of the women. Um, you know, uh, yeah, the, uh, not only her, but the others as well. And then at the end, when they kind of recapped, you know, um, it. I can't remember the woman's name who started um, a dispensary. She was, she was gearing her, uh, her work towards the elderly. And I guess the, the dispensary or, or was destroyed uh, after the whole oh, the George. Sue, Sue Taylor. Yes. Sue Taylor. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah. Uh, it was destroyed, I guess, but it rebuilt uh, the community rebuilt it after that. Um so it was, I thought um, just following their lives and their resiliency was important as a, as a woman in cannabis, you know, I think, I think that women should definitely watch the film um, for sure. Just to realize that, yeah, you know, we, I think we're resilient by nature, you know, <laughs> and, and it definitely showed that. Well, also, their resilience paid off to the team around the movie. Uh, you know, they were going, you know, difficult, obviously during COVID to, even shop it around or you get it through the, you know, the festival circuit, which is how movies like that break. And then some company sees it, they like it and they buy it. That's what they end up getting. They end up, this company did buy it. it they waited a year, you know, I think. And, uh, nice. and then a, a company, a small independent film company, but that gave them a push to get it out there, you know? So, uh, so that really helped them out, you know, gave the, gave, um, it's a little less of an independent effort for them when they get picked up by us. Even if it's a small film company, it's a lot bigger than, you know, independent, you know, they're doing it yourself. Uh, right. So they picked up, which was a good sign. Yeah, for sure. Um, so um, I wanted to switch gears and talk a little more about, um, about some of the documentaries about the, the musical artists, because there were several of those on the list too. And, uh, Maybe starting with uh, with Billie Holiday, um, I, I, the, is it the U.S. versus Billie Holiday? Yeah. Was, yeah. Well, you know, uh, that, movie, that movie came out kind of on the cusp of last year and this year. Uh, mm -hmm. So, uh, it, but it already won awards, you know, at the beginning of this year. Um, Andre Day won uh, Golden Globe and uh, for uh, for her depiction of Billie Holiday. I mean, it's a you know, it's a it's a terrible story, really, what the government did to Billie Holiday. I mean, mm -hmm. they hounded her. You know, it's kind of like they hounded Lenny Bruce or people like that who were, you know, doing things that were a little out of the ordinary in terms of the 
music that they played or the entertainment they provided uh, and uh, and also did you know drugs at a time when you know the government was hounding people for it uh, and they use Billie Holiday as an example you know this is we we want to show this is the problem in in that community the black community the jazz community they allow and tolerate this kind of behavior and we don't and we're making you know a, a, a big uh big case about her and they handed her arrested her several times I mean to the very end you know she was arrested in her bed when she was in the hospital for having heroin possession <laughs> I mean that's how absurd it really was mm-hmm. uh, now her life was a very dramatic life um she uh she was a tough lady to say the least and it was quite a uh you know a portrayal to be honest I mean Andre Day is not an actress per se she's a singer and this was it first time for her and wow, did she pull it off? I mean, that was a really tough role. I mean, she really gets messed around by men. Uh, she takes hard drugs. She's drunk all the time. She's, she likes, you know, uh, you know, hard sex. Uh, mm-hmm. She, you know, it was a tough role and she really dove in and played it amazingly well. So, I mean, I just think it's tremendous, you know, what she accomplished, you know, in the, in just doing that character and, and the story being told an important story that needs to be told that, you know, Billie Holiday is a great artist. Her life changed dramatically when she sang strange fruit, strange mm-hmm. fruit was about lynching blacks in the thirties. And, uh, and she sang this very soft, somber song that got a lot of attention. It was written by a Jewish guy. Um, and uh, and it, um, it, they, they targeted her from that point on. You, you can't say something like that. How dare you, a black person, to question you know, lynching in America? How dare you? And they went after her for that. I mean, it, it's just stunning to think that this is the way. I mean, I know we have similar problems these days, but it still is stunning to think that that's the way things were done then, you know, now. Right. I know there's been terrible things that have happened to people in the last few years, but this is talking about like a celebrity, an amazing talent, you know, was taken down by the government. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, I, I had no idea, actually, the extent of it. Um, and it was very eye opening and just really illustrated the war on drugs like like it's it's unbelievable that one person could be targeted that in that way so directly and openly you know um and, and even harry j anslinger who's considered the architect of the warren jugs dating back to the reefer madness era is depicted in the movie you know he's mm-hmm. the guy who's going after her you know throughout the movie you know i honestly i think the character i forget his name the place is a little too handsome for anslinger who wasn't that <laughs> that's you know, they, a they, good they, point they, they a little too good um, but I, I would like to kind of shift over, though, because there's another movie this year that's very similar to that movie, but it's not getting the attention uh, that the Billie Holiday movie got. And I'm a little uh, surprised. And it's the movie Respect. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the, um, the, the movie about Aretha Franklin's life, a, a biopic on Aretha Franklin starring Jennifer Hudson. And it's a really fabulous movie. Now, I am a big fan of Aretha Franklin. I'm a huge R&B soul fan. So, you know, James Brown, Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, you know, it's like a holy trinity of movies being made about these great stars, generally shortly after they die. And they're all pretty good. But people often snivel at biopics. I don't know. They like the Queen biopic, but they don't maybe like this one or that one. They considered, you know, um, not uh, great works of art. You know, they're, you know, they follow an obvious trajectory of beginning to whatever end. In the case of Aretha, it's up till she's 30 years old. So Aretha is um, kind of hounded by her past um, in that she had, uh, she was assaulted as a child, sexually assaulted. Uh, she was a very young a singer. She was brought up by her dad, uh, uh, a gospel preacher, you know, brought her up through the church, had her perform at a very young age you know, house parties in the church, whatever, people were around all the time. One day, some guy slipped into her door when there was a lot of people around, no paying attention. He did stuff they shouldn't have done and maybe happened more than one time. That's what you just kind of see in the movie. And then later on, you know, she never gets over it. She becomes an alcoholic. And she also has her problems with men as an adult being uh, treated violently, you know, mm-hmm. uh, especially by, uh, you know, her husband um, in the movie, who, um, who also smokes pot, by the way, uh, is played by Marlon Wayans, uh, Ted White. Um, so there's similarities in the two storylines, uh, but Aretha wasn't hounded to her death by the government. It was her own issues, but uh, Billy had similar issues growing up. You know, she, she was, you know, 
she was a prostitute at a very young age. Uh, she grew up in a bordello, you know, things like that. Now, Aretha didn't. Aretha had a completely different, you know, you know, very solid upbringing in terms of, you know, a church girl. But, you know, but then she went into the music world and, you know, and so it's a different story. But the music is, you know, is equally as good, to say the least, Aretha's music. And Jennifer Hudson is just unbelievably great. Yes. I mean, it's, it's just stunningly great. Um, so I don't know. I'm really surprised that she's not getting nominated. The movie's not getting nominated. Nothing. Uh, it's just sort of just falling off like it doesn't have the critical appeal. I don't really get it. Why is Billie Holiday more interesting than Aretha Franklin? Yes, it's a more interesting story, I'd say. It's a deeper, harsher story around Billie Holiday than Aretha. Uh, you have to dig a little deeper to get to that you know, side of Aretha. Mm -hmm. But even if it wasn't there and it's just a true celebration of her life, it's amazing. The whole way that they treat the song Respect and as a musicologist myself, I just love what they did. There's this, first they hear Respect by Otis Redding on the radio. And then Aretha and her sisters are singing it along in, in the mother's house and singing together harmonies. And yeah. then 1968 comes and Aretha's starting to move up the charts and she's in Madison Square Garden on the main stage with a huge band playing a great version of Respect with Jennifer Hudson nailing it. It's like, wow. You know, to me, I don't know, it just moved me. Uh, so I wish, you know, people would pay her some respect. Right, <laughs> right. Nominations, please. Yes, I, I agree. I mean, um, I don't know what would keep it from moving along in that way. Everything about it is phenomenal. The only thing that comes to mind is they're very uh, direct and vivid about all the abuse that she suffered, you know, at the hands of her father, her husband, you know, all the way through and the church situation. And people just don't seem to, they don't want to hear that story. I don't know why, um, yes. but child abuse and that kind of thing, I suppose. Also, there was a, a, a long-form uh, mini-series on Aretha that came out also during the year that was on, I think, National Geographic. Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, I'm forgetting her last name. Erebo? Oh, I might be getting it wrong. I'm sorry. It's um, okay. But she, um, she did, performed, uh, you know, or is Aretha, and it just didn't have the spirit of this movie. You know, it was really, mm -hmm. uh, she was much more dour person. Uh, she didn't really look kind of like Aretha. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't really like it, but I think that maybe that took a little of the luster away from the movie. It's like overkill. Oh, like, right. Too much Aretha in one year. People already spent time on the miniseries, and now it's a movie too. Like, right. just, it, just, mm -hmm. it just stacked up badly for the movie. Right. You know, I... I'll, I I um, was moved to tears, honestly, with that film. And especially, you know, watching her with Martin Luther King and then later watching her sing at President Obama's inauguration. Yeah. It, it's just so moving, you know, to see how her life started and where it went. And yeah, maybe, that she, maybe you're right. Maybe it cuts a little too deep. You know, that stuff cuts a little too deep. You know, uh, maybe when you build a story like the government versus a person, okay, then it's like, you know, the bad guy versus, you know, this poor woman, you know, you mm -hmm. can take sides, you know, with Aretha, what's, I guess you could take her side, you know, the mm -hmm. guys were bad to her, you know, um, so that's her, you know, that's her cross to bear. And that's what, you know, influenced her, you know, who she was and how she became a star and what she was able to fight against and, and just deal with to get to where she got, you know. Um, so I don't know. I just I, I'm, I'm a little sorry about all that, but that's just my uh, take on it. Right, right. Yeah, um, it's definitely worth watching. And, and I agree with you, it should be uh, critically acclaimed, for sure. Um, uh, so I, I did watch a couple of other um, of the music documentaries. I wondered, there were several on the list. I wondered, uh, is Aretha, is the one about Aretha your favorite respect? Well, or is it's not a documentary. So I mean, that's a biopic. So as documentaries go, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, you know, I, I guess my I mean, I, but I'd rather follow up. I know where you're going, so I, I'd rather follow up on the ones you're gonna you're gonna bring up. Oh, okay, <laughs> sure. That would <laughs> that would be great. Um, well, I watched. I also watched um, uh, "Bitchin' the Sound and Fury" about Rick James. And oh gosh, 
I actually didn't finish it and I rarely do that. Um, I thought it was a little bit long. And um, so I loved his music uh, when it came out, right? I was a dancer when I was younger. I just loved the the vibe of it, but the whole vibe of him wasn't, it just wasn't sitting with me. I don't know. What are your thoughts about it? Well, I can see how you might want to cut it off towards the end because that's where his life kind of bottomed out. You know, mm. became, you know, you know, kind of, I guess, a bad person at that point. He's sort of, you know, um, you know, he he got a great start, and then things changed dramatically for him in his career. You know, when he got rich and you know steered more towards cocaine. But what's an interesting, you know, why Rick James fits into the list. You know, is not just that it's music oriented and it's sort of drug related. It's very drug related. Is mm-hmm. that he really kind of kicked off his career advocating for marijuana? Uh, sure. He sang about it famously in Mary Jane on his first album. It's you know remains one of the great marijuana anthems. Uh, and um, and he would on stage you know talk about it. He had big joints like Cypress Hill. I mean, he, you know, before it was the thing to do, he was doing it. Yes, that's true. Most people don't really recognize that, you know, aspect because it wasn't really heralded. I was thinking about that today, you know, uh, leading into this conversation with you and thinking about how, you know, if I was at High Times in 1978, I sure would have put Kush for Rick James to be on the cover. You know, I don't think they were thinking about a guy like Rick James back then. High Times was sort of at the punk rock or maybe the Grateful Dead, but they weren't really into R&B, soul, or whatever. And here was a guy really standing up for it the way bands later, like when I was there in the 90s, stood up for it, you know. And I was able to, you know, help facilitate some of those, you know, cover shoots and articles and stuff like that. So I kind of feel like High Times missed the boat a little bit on Rick James in 78, 79, 80. But, you know, but, and that was, you know, like you, you know, I'm a, I'm a big R&B fan. I got, I started my career as a music writer and I started writing about R&B and jazz and it was late seventies. So there you go. Rick James is right in the pocket. You and I, you know, right in the pocket. That's, yes. one, of the, that's one of the great funk songs of all time, you and I. And uh, right on the one, you mm-hmm. and I, boom, boom. And so, and then, you know, he got into his other more popular songs that really made it for him. Uh, and, you know, he, he became this big LA star and, you know, he just succumbed to the life. You know, the life was, you know, was a high life of drugs and coke and women and pool parties and the whole thing before hip hop, you know, all the hip hop artists seemed to embrace that idea, you know, of that swinging lifestyle you know, with women all over the place and Mm -hmm. drugs and pools and skimpy bathing suits, he was doing that, you know? Uh, Mm -hmm. And so that became what he was known for. But then it got worse. He started to, you know, uh, assault women, his girlfriends and so on. Mm -hmm. And so his life just, you know, just bottomed out, you know, why a man did this, why he had to, but here's just a total life of excess, you know? And this is just such a cautionary story. This is what so many of these, you know, musicians and artists, you know, you know, the option is there for them often if they want to pursue that. Where do you go with it? Do you have to live that life or can you live another life? Do you have to live a life of opulence and, you know, just spending, you know, ridiculously and you're not really caring about anything much at all? You know, just 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 total, um, uh, you know, just just total living a high life. And so I think he just, you know, went way overboard. And so I think it really, it, I guess you even look at Rick James and you wonder, well, how do you think about him now? Like an R. Kelly or Michael Jackson or this or that, how can you really relate to his music, you know? But I don't quite see it that way. I guess it didn't play out the same way that some of these other people's lives played out. It was a little bit lesser known because the media wasn't so ever present back in those days when, yes, it was being reported, but it wasn't TMZ. So people didn't know every little thing about Rick James's life. And it kind of went under the rug more or less until this documentary came out. Right. That's a very good point. It wasn't people's lives. You know, the, the press wasn't in every moment uh, trying to capture it. So I think that's why, you know, I mean, it was a little shocking for me, you know, like, like over the top, like you said, you know, just, just too, way too much. And yet all of your points are also true. I mean, he had a giant joint out on the stage uh, when people were definitely not doing that, you know, so, yes. So, you know, was he a pioneer, uh, you know, even though yes, he, yes, he was, but it's hard to herald it because of what he became, you know, okay. so you just kind of let, let it be. Um, right. 
recognize, you know, that there's different sides to the story here, you know, two coins here and, you know, and oftentimes, you know, you know, I mean, it could be used if, uh, if uh, more conservative people want to look at it and say, well, there was a gateway kind of situation for him, I guess it was, but, um, but, you know, you either choose to follow that path or you don't have to, nothing forced him. He went that path, but it was a path of excess. He had so much money to spend, you know, it, it, that was the life at that time, you know, pull him back a little bit, put him in a different era, maybe he'd be a different guy. Right, right, for sure. Um, and then I also watched um, uh, the the film about Biggie, um, which I, I didn't really know much about him. So uh, it was it was interesting. He was so young when he passed away. Uh, what are your thoughts about that one? Well, my thoughts are that it's a story that's been told a lot. Um, so, you know, he's it's a very popular uh, story to tell about notorious B.I.G. and you know his you know his uh, short life and death and and the the big beef between him and Tupac Shakur that has never been resolved that's never been charged nobody's ever been charged with all kinds of accusations but you know these two guys died back to back in '96 and '97 somewhat mysteriously uh, you know with these sort of beefs between the camps, apparently. Uh, and so there's just a constant fascination. It's kind of the story of hip hop, you know, the, the mystery of hip hop is like, whatever happened? How did that happen? And it's never mm-hmm. been resolved. And so I guess they're going to keep telling it until somebody resolves it. Right. Um, but, yeah. And, uh, but there was been a movie about his life, Notorious. Uh, there's been a previous documentary. There's this documentary. There's a movie out this year called City of Lies with Johnny Depp playing a, 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 a cop who's researching and trying to get to the bottom of this same, you know, mystery, nor mm-hmm. does he resolve it either. So, um, so I kind of felt like if you want to just dig back, besides, you know, saying all that stuff, that's saying, okay, it's been told a lot. For those who haven't seen it, it's a really interesting story. Um, you know, he's a great hip-hop artist, you know, definitely one of the top mm-hmm. ten, if not top five, uh, a, a pioneer in the New York, Brooklyn scene, uh, kind of discovered by Puff Daddy uh, and became a, a star, uh, you know, real quickly, rose up really fast, uh, and then got caught up in this crazy world in hip-hop where people shoot each other when they don't get along. Uh, mm-hmm. And it sadly is happening still to this day. You know, I actually did an article recently that noted that there were, you know, over 12 or so killings in hip hop this year, uh, different hip hop artists getting killed uh, in drive bottles and shootings and internal beefs and things like that. So it doesn't stop, unfortunately, and maybe it's even a little worse now, but those were the biggest names and those are like assassinations. So that really stands out in the mind of people that's up there, you know, for people, it's like that's Kennedy and, you know, and Martin Luther King or something, you know, Biggie and Tupac getting shot like that back to back. It was really mm-hmm. stunning and it really shook the world of hip hop. And it's, people still want to know. But I mean, his music's great. I think the beauty of it is really is watching that and just soaking up the music, you know. Mm-hmm. Just, it was always there. Was it my favorite you know artist during that period i liked him but he wasn't my favorite like some people love jay-z or some people love this group or that band or whatever so it wasn't my favorite but people always you know spoke highly of biggie like he was the man he was the guy and when mm-hmm. you go back on it and you listen to the music you realize why you right. realize how talented he was and and how what a great flow he had and such a unique sound that nobody can duplicate that's the beauty of hip-hop when nobody can duplicate it you have your own sound then you're on another level. Right. On that level. Yeah, for sure. It's good to be told again. I do think it's a bit of a vanity project for Puff Daddy. He's one of the producers, uh, so he's in it a lot. Um, But uh, so I'm a little critical of it in that uh, it just repeats a lot of the stuff that we already know. Mm, okay right um so so you mentioned in the beginning you're already you're going to be adding an, one more film to the 63 um do you think do you think there'll be more as as you go along as well I, I think not i mean if anything there were a few in here that maybe i didn't have a chance to watch like dune because dune's like uh i've been in theaters and I'm not that big of a Dune fan, but I figured, you know, it appeals to the crowd. It's a, one of those sci-fi movies that Stoners like. And so, you know, so that would be a movie I would catch when it's available. You know, some mm-hmm. of them you, you can. If it was really important to me, I might pay the $20. I'd go to the movie theater and see it. Um, so, I, I mean, I was going to see a few movies to check them out in advance. I went to see um, Don't Look Up. And then I also went to see Licorice Pizza. 
uh, and which is a kind of a cute movie, um, but didn't really, I thought it might have some dr drug theme. It really didn't, a couple of references, so I kind of skipped on that one. But no, I'm not really, I mean, if there's something else pops up, I and mean, I'm still, what I'm doing now is I'm reading all of the uh, best ofs, you know, movie articles for the year and all mm -hmm. different websites, and I come through those, and I maybe I find another movie that I didn't know. You know, uh -huh. I, mean, I find what I'm hoping to find is when they, they, they have a list of their favorite 20 or 25. They actually pick one of the movies that's on my list. Ah. They seem to ignore all of these movies. They don't, all these cool indie movies that focus in on drugs in some way, shape, or form are generally ignored. Hmm. I didn't realize that. Wow. Like I'll say a movie like Aquila's Escape, interesting movie with Saul Williams uh, as the lead actor. Saul Williams is a poet, poet who kind of came up in the New York beat poetry or slam poetry scene. And um, I lost touch with the guy. He was in a movie called Slam. I, I haven't seen him in years. And there he is in this movie. He's playing, uh, he's, he's part of a company that runs a dispensary in Toronto. And, um, and he, you know, he's, um, he's, I guess, not security, but he's just one of the guys who works part of the team. And they have a holdup. And the holdup, he's not there for the holdup, but um, they, um, young kid, you know, in there, he rips off a lot of weed and money. And now, you know, his job is to go find who did it or the kid. And it's an interesting story because, you know, it's young thug story, you know, and an older dude who's been through it all, who's trying to sort of resolve a problem nonviolently. Oh, uh, okay. And, and Saul Williams is very good in this movie, so I really thought it was good. There's another very good movie uh, with a, a lot of black actors in it called Gully that I like a lot, too. It's a tough movie, uh, kids on the streets, wilding, uh, just sort of getting into a lot of trouble, kind of violent, uh, and you kind of see where they end up in this saga. You know, where are they heading, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. I thought it was really well done. So, But these are movies that I don't see too many people paying a lot of attention to. Uh, mm. unfortunately. So that's partially why I do this to sort of alert people to this stuff because they may not find out about it otherwise. Right. Yeah. No, I think it's, imp it's an important list actually. And, you know, I, I, I guess with the pandemic, I would think people might be searching for more and you might see some of these films come forward a little more than in the past. I don't know. Um, do you think that that's the case? Yeah, I just think things people are just watching more. You know, they just they have the time. I I I feel I'm a good example of that. I haven't been going out much lately. Uh, generally during the pandemic, uh, you know, started to go out a little bit this year and then cut back. Obviously lately, uh, sort of I kind of got myself out there in August, did some stuff, and now pulled back in December uh, after you know doing stuff and being okay and being triple vaxxed and you know mm -hmm. being safe and so i think people are probably spending a lot of time at home watching these things but you know but they're still only going to watch the stuff that they know uh it's, it's, it's really for a kind of a uh a, a special audience uh and i'm trying to sort of reach our crowd because mm -hmm. this is who really would want to you know, watch this stuff and maybe they don't know about it and then they really dig it once they saw it. So oh, happy I learned about this movie. So, you know, that's kind of my idea is just to, you know, be kind of completist about this and not ignore anything. And it's very few movies I watched that I didn't put in. Uh, I just, you know, it, it, unless it just didn't fit at all, but I thought mm -hmm. maybe it hinted that might be something there. But by and large, I just kind of pretty much left everything in. So, and, and I'll just, if I find anything else, I'll add, and I have to watch a few more things that are on this list, but I didn't totally complete. I did like a little cursory review versus a full review, but I'd say out of the 63, I must've reviewed about 58 or something. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, I, I a few to fill in like the Beach Boys movie with, uh, I wanted to kind of catch that, but I was a little tapped out after watching so much Beatles. So I figured I needed a little break, but you know, there's so much you can watch, you know, uh, after a while. So I just took a little break and I'll kind of get back and fill it in. The ones I felt that were really the most important that I really needed to have a real personal, you know, review of versus more of a general statement, you know, sure. that I did. So, you know, but if there's anything else that pops up, I'll probably drop a few more. I think the, the, the adding one more, making a 64 kind of rounds it off and off. I think so. I think so. I think the, the, be, eh, 64, better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. For whatever reason, it just kind of, it does. You're right. It rounds it out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, what would you say is the definite must-see film on the list for people? Oh, don't look up. 
for sure. Um, I, I would say so on that. And, and, and pretty much we have covered uh, all of my favorites, I would say, on the list right now. Um, I, um, I'd have to kind of like go through it like quickly one more time and see what uh, stuff that I, uh, you know, that I'd like to remind people about. Um, I really like Jacinta. Jacinta uh, is a movie, a documentary. It's on Hulu. Um, and it's one of the opioid movies. Um, and it just really stuck with me. There's a couple out there, and this one really, really stuck with me. It's um, it's about two to three genera two generations of opioid users. The mother and the daughter both are in jail at the beginning of the movie. Daughter gets out. Mother still stays. Mother's trying. The daughter, who's in her thirties, is trying to get her life together now that she's out. Doesn't do a great job of it. She has a daughter, and they have to deal with like, okay, she's eight or nine or whatever, and then how, how she deals with her daughter, which is very interesting. Our daughter sort of plays out how to deal with her mother, knowing that her mother's up and down, in and out, you know, can't get her shit together, in and out of jail, in and out of treatment, in and out of shooting, in and out of blah, blah, blah. And mm -hmm. it just it almost like the movie is almost through the eyes of the daughter, the, the youngest daughter. And mm -hmm. you wonder what will happen to her. Now, the movie ends when she's 10 or something or 12 or maybe. But so obviously she's a girl. So nothing, you know, she's fine. But what happens when she's 17, 18, 20, you know, mm -hmm. what will her life be like, will she follow or hopefully not? It makes you wonder, you know, what would happen. And in Jacinta, too, you know, will she, what will become of her life? You know, some of these stories, you know, like uh, there was another one that I really kind of disliked, this Bobby Joe story, um, Bobby Joe Under the Influence. Now, this is a woman who really went through it, really, really, really went through it. Uh, I mean, you know, had a really tough life during her addicted era, and she found God, and God saved her and she started you know uh homes for the women and stuff so they had places to come to after they got out of jail and treatment things like that and she did really good stuff but it's all about god it's all about you know couldn't been done without god and there's nobody questioning anything it's just like a it's like yeah. it's just sort of like a puff story about her life and i couldn't buy it even though i understand she's accomplished a lot and i and i and i i'm thankful but i didn't really find it a compelling story versus jacinta um, and then the third story in this kind of trilogy of uh, opioid uh, dramas would be um, Four Good Days, uh, starring Mila Kunis. And this one, I have a lot of opinions about because they, you know, it, this is sort of like what Hollywood does now. They, they take someone like Mila Kunis, who's a beautiful woman, and they turn her into a ghoul. You know, mm. makeup and costuming, she looks horrendous. She, is, she arrives at her mother's doorstep you know, in terrible shape, needing help. Mother's saying, go away. Mm -hmm. I've been through this before. She's going to come in the house and steal, steal stuff and build this and do that and blah, blah, blah. So go away. But of course, the mother relents and lets her in and uh, at least the next morning. And then getting close to the mom and she tries to help her. But it's one, you know, detour after another, one lie, one this, one that. But the goal in the movie is four good days that she has seven days to clean up so she can get a shot the Narcan shot or what and, and that will basically reduce mm. her cravings and but she has to be clean for seven days so she gets through three days and then there's the four days left and so you follow but I mean it's just the Hollywood depiction kind of concerns mm. that you know this is the depiction of the drug addict you know the drug addict is somebody who's at the lowest ebb of their life mm -hmm. you know they they there's there's nothing redeeming in their life at this point. And, mm. uh, and I just, you know, I, I wonder what Carl Hart, Dr. Hart would say about these movies. Carl Hart wrote the book this year, you know, drug use for grownups. And he revealed that he uses heroin on a, you know, on a kind of recreational basis, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, why is everybody who uses a, a heroin drug or opiate drug, you know, depicted in this, you know, stark way? You right. Know, isn't there another way to treat these characters? And so I think maybe Hollywood will get it maybe down the road. But right now they're just zeroing in on the hellish, you know, nature of it. And there's no other sides to it. You know, so they only see one side to it and they're depicting it that way. And it kind of suits their narratives. And I'd like to see the narrative change on these uh, these types of movies if they're going to continue. Uh, that's that's a very good point. I mean, certainly there are 
professionals who are addicted to opiates. Maybe they have chronic illnesses and that's what's gotten them through. And they're very high functioning people, <laughs> you know, and you don't really see that. Um, I guess it, maybe it, maybe it's not sensational enough. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Sensational is, you know, uh, you know, rags to riches, you know, you're fighting it off. You, you finally win the battle, you know, uh, or, or you show the drama and somebody doesn't make it, but that shows you, you know, Hey, you know, yeah, there's this dark side here. Everybody knows there's a dark side. People can die from these drugs. So, um, mm-hmm. so I, you know, I, I, I just, uh, the other thing that kind of concerns me is that all the depictions it seems are white people and mm. white people, the only people that are afflicted with this, you know, problem right now. And to be honest, I mean, black people and people of color have been dealing with opioid issues for the, much longer, uh, dealing with illicit opioid, you know, drugs, meaning heroin, uh, mm-hmm. in the streets of the cities where I grew up in New York forever and continuing. And this is, you know, this story is not being told or how maybe that leaks into the pipeline of, you know, pill manufacturing, you know, where heroin and all this stuff. And so, you know, maybe there's other stories to be told on that aspect, too, mm-hmm. that involves people of color. Uh, not to say that we want to see these, you know, these, you know, difficult depictions, but let's deal with the reality that it's affecting everybody and not right. just one group of you know, in other words the argument is that the whole opiate crisis became a crisis because it was affecting white people mm, I, yeah i hear you it yeah wasn't a crisis when it was heroin in the ghetto right a crisis you know i mean i guess crack became a crisis but you know but back in the days when i grew up in new york and people were nodding all over new york they didn't treat it as the opioid crisis you know it just right. it what it was you know it was a lot of heroin around new york and people were using it right know? Um, so, so I don't know. I'm just saying that it's it's very zeroed in on one set of the population. Yeah, it would it would be it would be good to have that story told, um, for sure. I, I hear you. Um, well, this has been fantastic, uh, Steve. And um, I want people to know you definitely want to check out celebstoner.com. Um, uh, you also have a Patreon for celebstoner.com uh, um, and uh, definitely check that out and support what Steve is doing. Um, and also, uh, how can people get in touch with you? And I think I would love it if you mentioned your book again. It was a little hard to see because of the background. So I just want to make sure that, that people yeah. know about that as well. I'll, I'll switch the background. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, see, it, it kind of like get shuts out of it out. Get out of the weeds. Yeah, this, <laughs> this book came out in 2010. I wrote it with Shirley Halpern. It's the follow-up to our first book, Pop Culture. It was up there. Um, so this was a movie guide. Uh, again, an outgrowth of the stuff that I was doing at High Times. Uh, mm-hmm. And there isn't any other book like it. Um, there's about 600 movies in the book. And then the continuation of that is at Celeb Stoner. Every year I do my roundup. So now with 65 movies this year and say 40 in the previous years, I probably have covered in the last 10 years at Celeb Stoner probably a couple hundred movies more. So add that onto the book. So you got about you know 800 movies. You know, wow. Um, yeah, you know, if you're if you're into this, you know, and uh, I hope people are. Yeah, I know. Um, I know uh, some folks that definitely are. So uh, I'm sorry we had the technical difficulties in the beginning, but we definitely got it done. And uh, if people couldn't figure out where it was, it'll be here on Facebook and we'll see what we can do also to download it and get it up on YouTube as well. So thanks so much, Steve, for joining me. Uh, thank you very much. And people can find me on Facebook, uh, Twitter, mostly via Slab Stoner, uh, you know, names uh, or my name steve or steve bloom dude uh <laughs> so you can find me that way um and you can dm me on you know on messenger and multiple ways excellent LinkedIn, linkedin as well excellent all the major platforms steve bloom thank you again for joining me and uh, i hope people will check out some of these films we, i think we did a great uh review of many of them but there's going to be 64 on the list so check it out i want to end by saying i gotta go get high (laughs) i gotta go get high too i actually had joints rolled next to me but we we're talking so much that uh i didn't so i gotta go get high too (laughs) the immoral words of jennifer lawrence yes all right good night yes thanks so much bye-bye